0: All right so uh first point welcome to the future i uh know we all want to get there fast, and I have a typo in my slide so uh bad news is that my cough hasn't gone away but i'll I'll do what I can here um so I am the interim c e o for only a little bit longer for the global innovation fund. our board has just picked a uh, uh amazing person Alex Wane who's gonna start uh very shortly so i'm a, i'm a, i'm the soon to be ex-interim CEO. Um, so a couple of disclaimers. Uh, the first is that this is just me. This isn't Global Innovation Fund's position. This isn't the position of anybody else. The second is that uh, I'm going to be doing some sweeping generalizations, all right? So if you're an investor, no matter who you're trying to back, this is what you should be caring about, right? Bang for the buck, and if you're trying to be a straight up old school investor, you're looking at entrepreneurs who are going to maximize your financial return. But actually, uh, just like Spencer mentioned, there's a lot of similarities in the kind of other sectors, right? And so, if you're somebody controlling public dollars or philanthropic dollars, you're trying to invest in something that you hope will be maybe an entrepreneur, sorry, an entrepreneur in a big organization, small government, whatever else, or an NGO really trying to hopefully get a bit of a social rate of return as well. So, and then there's this very sexy impact investing space. And in that world, uh, you're willing to trade off a little bit of financial uh, return, risk adjusted for some bang of the buck in the social side, you you hope again. So that's setting the stage. This is entrepreneurship. I'm kind of cheating a little bit and yes, but also. Um, So where do we run in? right? The first problem is that all these people out there trying to innovate, They kind of all look the same. We're sitting here in this big cloud deciding what we're going to do. Where are we going to put our funds? And so the first trick uh, for anybody who's looking for other than a financial rate of return is to use a really cute child (laughs) and fundraise. Uh, There's actually some studies, like small uh, small from 2007, which show that people fundraise based on emotions, not paragraphs of facts about how terrible this famine is or whatever else this stuff matters more in this case that kid as you can tell is especially cute because it's mine Uh, the uh the so what does that leave us we've got ourselves like you know we're back in the 1800s falling around a wagon and looking for snake oil and trying to figure out what we want to do that's what all that historical stuff is there But there's also another thing, it's the whole problem is dynamic, right? And so there is something sexy out there, microfinance or whatever else, and all of a sudden all these new entrants come in. And in that world, you've got what Lamp Pritchett at Harvard calls isomorphic mimicry. Just like for butterflies, all trying to look kind of like each other, maybe a bit poisonous. Uh, You've got a bunch of people, entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs, whatever else, who are all copying each other. The Uber of X, uh, there's a lot of those, right? So here's another problem besides that, which is that anybody trying to get a social impact, life is complex, right? And so here we are, we're dropping our brains, our time, and our uh, money into the prices is Right Splinko, and you drop the little ball and you watch it go down, or puck, I guess, and you watch it go down, You really, but actually it's more like this. You really have no idea what's happening in the middle there, and it's bouncing around, and then something pops out at the end, and you're like, hey, that's a great result. Would it happen if I did it again? I don't know, Uh, I don't know why, I don't know how. And that's kind of what life is like when it's really complex. Another example is even when you've got the rules of the game really known, such as in baseball, it's tough. And as Michael Lewis points out, that uh, we're really conflating luck and skill in baseball. We're missing most of the important information. And at the same time, we're really vastly overvaluing people who shouldn't, they're not performing at really getting results and we're undervaluing others. And by the way, my favorite quote from the book is, well, what does that mean beyond baseball for the performance of anybody out there? Uh, we we really can't measure them really well. And this all falls apart because we're a, financial returns are really easy. But beyond that, it's tough to measure anything. Oh, this one looks a little bit small. Um, oh, and my animation fell through. Pop quiz at the end. All right. So uh, when you, what's interesting is when you stack anybody who's in this ecosystem together the entire system as a whole doesn't really play out in the way that you might think makes sense. So whether you're an academic, a social entrepreneur, somebody who's controlling some philanthropic funds, a uh, investor, whatever else, actually a lot of times, what do you care about? Whether you fundraised, whether you're getting media play, whether you're getting votes, whether you're getting publications, and with imagine that last line showing up at the end of the animation. Uh, What's not there is like social bang for the buck. There's actually not a lot of people focusing on that part of the return. When you think about the the ratio of these things, a bang for the buck, even more sophisticated Joe and Jane Public will be thinking about, well, I'm going to look at Charity Navigator and try to understand who's got the lowest overhead when I'm thinking about my charitable donations at the end, but they're actually not thinking about the the numerator there. And so so this is a, a challenge for the entire industry. And this is where it really breaks down. Uh, one of my favorite papers, also by uh, Lamp Pritchard at Harvard, is called It Pays to Be Ignorant. And his point is that when you've got this whole ecosystem, ironically, there's only downside risk for measuring social impact, right? And so this is kind of like Wall Street before financial regulation happened and people had to be audited by independent people. This is kind of the industry we're in right now. And uh, if I controlling one NGO or social enterprise that needs some partially subsidized capital because somebody thinks they're going to get a social return, and I'm trying to fundraise or whatever else and I want to prove my social impact, it's probably better to just use some propaganda and, you know, videos on YouTube or whatever else of cute kids because my competitor who's going to do that and actually hires some independent person to run a, uh, you know, some sort of test on them will actually have their fundraising drive up. That asymmetry is a big deal. That means that because accountability and learning are the same flip side of the same coin, means that we're not iterating and improving over time. We're not learning as an industry. A lot of the stuff we're doing is stuff that we've been doing for 50 years, right? And it's not focused on what this conference is focused on is like the maximum delta on the end. And so there's no Eric Reese build, measure, learn kind of going on in the industry. And we're in fact, we're disincentivized to do it. So there's some ways that... This place has tried to figure out how to address these things compared to business as usual. Uh, The first is, where are these ideas coming from? They come from Washington, from the capitals of Jakarta. How often are those things useful for the people who are out in the provinces? Uh, But one thing you could do is try to make sure that you're open to getting the ideas from that little Spider-Man Lego. uh, And really make sure you're having a competition, a big cage fight amongst all the different ideas that are out there. pretty similar to angel investors and a bunch of other stuff. Another thing is that whenever it's public money or philanthropic money, we have kind of what Maura O'Neill calls pilotitis, which is a bunch of pilots. We have no idea whether they're going to scale. We have no focus on whether or not they're having impact. But you actually have, which is, I wish it were a better known fact, you have a bunch of big, big giant programs supported by governments or places like the World Bank or... You know other big investors and what do you find out that actually there's not a lot of evidence supporting what people are spending their money on and so what some people are trying to do including GIF as I'll get to in a second is rearrange this right try to de-risk and the more money things the more money we put into something the less risk we think it has and then there's a the third piece to try to address like how do we know whether or not something's working measurement is really hard so another quiz uh, Which of these actually had the biggest impacts on uh, school attendance in Kenya? Apparently, you're not allowed to speak. So uh, the answer is uh, is actually telling parents that their kids will earn a lot more money as they grow up is far cheaper and more effective in terms of keeping kids in school than, say, giving the best girls scholarships. All right. And so what does this come from? This is coming from randomized controlled trials, the same way that drugs are tested. Uh, which is great, uh, but there's not a lot of it out there in the, the international development space, at least. And so a little backstory there in this kind of like what Mr. Musk was saying, 1938, the FDA was established, 1961, massive scandal of tainted drugs, expanded mandate of the FDA the next year, which said we will block and not market anything that doesn't have evidence that A, you're safe and B, that you work. And that created the birth of a bunch of clinical trials. And now there are, as of 2004, there are 150,000 medical, uh, trials, right? But that's interesting, but, you know, it's valid for other places too. In the business sector, you have A B testing, right? So Capital One and starting in 2000 and beyond was doing, from Jim Manzi's book, I think it was like 20,000 A B tests and randomized trials every single year. It's, uh, Every time you get a little flyer from Capital One, whether or not the font is up here or it's red or whatever else, you are being a guinea pig at that time, and they're trying to understand whether you're more likely to uh, pick up and get a credit card as you're being experimented on. Same thing with Google; even in 2009, was running 12,000 randomized control trials. It's all—it's everywhere because that accountability and learning break isn't that link isn't broken, right? Like it is in when you're trying to get a social return. So all this is great. But even this is like in international development, we've put in two point three trillion dollars over five year, over fifty years as an industry of rich governments putting money into trying to help poor countries. Only in the last decade or so have we had about seven hundred randomized control trials come out of the places like J-PAL and IPA, um, and so that's not a lot of industry. Sorry, not a lot of evidence base to actually be standing on tons of money, right? it's very different than. Business or med- uh, the medicine, and that's okay. Randomized control trials aren't going to work everywhere. That's fine. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. You want to have them kind of right sized uh, for the situation you're trying to solve and the amount of resources you have. But the problem is that uh, even when we get away with that, we're often not measuring the right thing. So, don't. A lot of people pitch about how many people they've trained, but. Training doesn't tell me whether or not they've learned anything, whether the beneficiaries have learned anything, or whether or not their lives are better off because of what you train them. And as an industry, we need to move ahead. So now I'm going to switch into what GIF is trying to do to address this. So uh, we are an innovation fund that will invest in innovations that we're looking to uh, have a pretty good chance of working and working at scale, helping transition to scale. Uh, Any sector, any country, any time, any type of person, all this stuff sounds pretty obvious around here, but it's actually really, really rare whenever philanthropy or government are putting in their funds, right? And so uh, we have a really broad definition of innovation, things that could be uh, new business models, new technologies, new distribution channels, new uh, insights from behavioral economics, any of this stuff in all of it is useful. What we're trying to do is put between 50,000 and 15 million US into investments that are trying to move from the kind of pilot phase to the rigorous testing phase to the scaling phase, the replication phase. We're really focused on being this bridge over the valley of death faced by good ideas. Really want to play this niche that feeds the pipelines of impact investors and other, uh, without crowding them out by de risking stuff as philanthropic patient capital. And then we want to do the same thing on the, on the public sector side, where there's no one who's like moving us from pilots to feeding the pipelines of governments, donors, and foundations with stuff that works. Uh, the, um, what does this look like in practice? So uh, as uh, was mentioned earlier, it's a $200 million fund. We have these five governments that have uh, sponsored us so far, uh, the United States, the UK, the Australians, the Swedes and the Omidyar network have all come in so far. We've had support from the White House and, uh, and number 10 Downing in the UK. Uh, and in the last nine months since we opened for business in September 2014, we've built this thing from the ground up, uh, we've recruited a great team. Uh, so far we've uh, processed, this is already out of date a week later, uh, we've already uh, screened 2200 uh, pitches, 15 countries uh 16 sectors, I think, now. Uh, and we started to run our investment process for the pr- ones that came in earlier. We've got our investment committees that are involved with external experts plus our own team. We've already uh, approved a bunch of deals, including everything from a Series A equity deal to a convertible loan uh, to uh, some grants to support some people work on randomized controlled trials. We're going to announce these things and tell, tell everybody what they are in, in a little bit. Uh, later this year, so um, here, uh, as an aside, if you ever get it ni- innovated on purpose earlier and you're trying to help some poor cup people who are in the rest of the world, if you've got a good idea, pitch it here right so uh remember this website and tell your friends who are innovating too uh, This is my final point that I think uh What's interesting about this approach is that the idea of competing ideas, giving stage funding to really manage the risk, and then having kind of feedback loops that are fast and full of evidence that has nothing to do with international development just so happens to be where we've pushed ourselves. And so, no matter who you are, if you're a mayor of Detroit trying to solve the problems of Detroit, if you're an NGO that really cares about, or let's say a foundation that really cares about only polio in only Pakistan, If you're uh, the minister of education from France or Mexico, you could be using this type of approach to try to solve your own problems and really get more bang for your taxpayer dollars, right? Or your endower's dollars if you're a philanthropy. And so right now, uh, this is really hard. There's not a lot of people who are doing this. It takes a lot of work. There's a really high overhead in order to look at deals that are as small as 100000 and all the uncertainty and challenges that i mentioned out earlier but that actually this type of approach is custom designed to figure out what works and to de-risk things and it's not how business as usual is done with these types of resources in general and so there's a handful of people in the space people like good ventures development innovation ventures um, Lago, like parts of the gates foundation but if we're really going to move the needle as a, as a movement here, we need 30 or 40 other organizations that are doing this type of approach. Maybe they have different application forms and processes or whatever else, but they're still getting ideas from lots of people and then making smart bets about them rather than giant bets in order to help feed the pipeline of innovation that will help us save the world. And so that can be what you all go off and do. All right, Thank you.